So again, I want to welcome y'all here. My name, bro. Richard's in Virginia. He goes every year to Virginia to hang out with his two sons and daughter to watch the Super Bowl every every Super Bowl Sunday, which is kind of cool. And so he was haunting me just then from Virginia. Um, again, my name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff. I want to welcome y'all here. If this is your first time here, I want to get this in your hands. It's a little welcome kit. It's got a connection card in it. It's got just some things. Uh, it'll kind of give you the DNA of our church. And if you will, if it's your first time here, if you've never got that in your hands, I want you to raise your hand. We've got two people that will get that in your hands. And if you will fill out that connection card, give us some information about that you were here, and you turn that in at the connections desk, they've got a gift for you over there. <clears throat> I want, I got two things that I want to do before we uh, jump into our message today. Number one is I want to introduce you to something that is going to begin on February the 16th. Uh, it is called Life Track, and hopefully we've got a little slide up. On the screen, it begins on the 16th, 8.30 in the morning on Sunday the 16th, 8.30 in the, on the kids' side, 8.30 in the morning the next week. Two kind of, I mean, I hate to say classes, but two kind of classes. And they are, it is almost like Church on the Trail 1 and Church on the Trail 2. And uh, the first one is really introducing, it's something that, uh, that everybody in the church, everybody in our church, we really, really want to go through this. It's two Sundays, and then we're going to do it. We're going to do it for six Sundays in a row: one and two, one and two, and then one and two, and then we're going to do it every third and fourth Sunday of every month from now till Jesus comes back. And we're going to kind of explain the role of the church and the role of our church inside the kingdom, and and what we do and how we do it, and and kind of expose you really to the vision and the mission of Church on the Trail in the in the uh, in the life track one and then in life track two um, it's an sort of an orientation kind of a little training uh, talking about different places and ways to connect in our church family whether that be in a in a growth group or whether that be serving in some ministry or on Sunday morning in the in the kids area or in the tots area and then along with part of life track two <clears throat> is uh, to explain how the Bible says that we are to relate to each other within the parameters of a New Testament church and what membership looks like in a New Testament church. Because we're going to roll out membership uh, in our church. We've never really had formal membership, but that's part of this life track too. So we invite every single person that would call Church on the Trail home to come to, to, to one of those, uh, the, one of those two classes. Um, and it's gonna, we're gonna be, that's gonna be ongoing. Number one announcement. Number two announcement is you're gonna see some people walking around wearing these shirts, and you're gonna see them walking around. Lonnie, you wanna stand up, and model one of them. Good looking fella. Good looking fella. So these are all of the people that serve on. So we, here's what we want. We want everybody to covet one of these shirts. And that don't mean thou shalt not covet, so don't be throwing the Ten Commandments at me. Covet in a good way. You should want to have one of these shirts because that means you're serving somewhere on a Sunday morning. And so we're going to talk about what a door holder really is in Life Track 1 and 2 as well.
but you're going to see every Sunday, you're going to see people walking around. And if you're here today and it's your first time and you don't know about something, ask one of the people wearing one of those shirts. So now let's jump into, uh, into what God's got for us this morning. So we're in week five um, of a series about following Jesus called uh, Not a Fan. Last week, how many of y'all were here last week? Okay, last week was one of the most amazing worship experiences I've ever seen in my life. Last week was incredible. Last week, last Sunday, we were in Jesus' words in Luke 9, 23. In fact, the week before we were too. And we were talking about his invitation, Jesus' invitation to us to follow him. And here's what he said that Luke recorded in verse 23. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Uh, and take up his cross daily and follow me. And when we read that, and and when we hear that, it almost sounds surreal uh, and almost even poetic. And even if we look at it word by word, which we've done the last couple of weeks, uh, it's like this dramatic, uh, the radical kind of nature of that invitation really probably spurs on an emotional kind of response. And so when we cross the line from, uh, from fan to follower, we need to look, <clears throat> when we go from fan to follower, we really need to look at what, the, uh, what some of those practical, pragmatic kind of implications are. And so today, I want to push down the road a little bit into Luke 9, almost to the end of that chapter, and Luke introduces us to three men, three men, and all three of those men at first glance, they really do seem eager very eager to become a follower. They wanna, they wanna be involved, and they're they're not sure about committed, but they definitely wanna be involved. Fans sort of think that those two things are the same: being involved and being committed. But y'all, there's a difference between being involved and, and being committed. Well, what's the difference between involvement and commitment? You know, when we're involved, we kind of may step in and step out. We may provide something for whatever the deal is. Um, we may provide a little of this or a little of that, but if we're committed to whatever the cause is, we are all in. Like we are devoted and we are jumping in and we are giving it every single thing that we've got to include sometimes, Jesus says, to include sometimes our, our very life. And so I noticed the difference uh, in involvement and commitment a few nights ago, Monday night, in fact, about 10 o'clock at the Waffle House. I know that sounds nuts, but it was 10 o'clock at night. It was right after outreach, uh, right after M2540, and about 10 of us who serve in that ministry were at Waffle House eating. And I had me some sm scattered and smothered hash browns, awesome, scattered and smothered, had some toast, had some extra crispy bacon, and had uh, three eggs over well. So how do I get from that, what I just said, to involved versus um, committed and so I'm looking at my bacon and my eggs on my plate at the Waffle House and I thought the hen she's involved I mean she's involved she provided the eggs that the Waffle House chef cooked and put on my plate so the hen is involved now the pig on the other hand that I got my bacon from that joker's committed because the pig gave his life the hen just provided a few eggs. And I know, y'all, that was a rabbit trail, and it didn't, wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. Back, jump back into Luke chapter 9. 
These guys in Luke 9, starting in verse 57, they want to follow Jesus. They do. But as they marinate, uh, y'all do, y'all want to tell you this too. I ran that little funny thing by the staff this week, and none of them thought it was funny either. So that should have been a sign to not, to not say that. <laughs> anyway, these guys, they want to marinate, these three guys in Luke 9, they want to think about and marinate on how following him um, will affect their own personal specific situations. And when they do that, they start making excuses. We see the first guy in verse 57. In verse 57, 57 says, as they, they, Jesus and his guys, as they were going along down the road, somebody said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go, he says. It sounds straightforward. It sounds black and white. It, it sounds like he knows what, um, what Jesus is asking of him. And he plainly states his intentions. I'll follow you wherever. I'll follow you wherever, wherever you go. He sounds like a follower. He, there's no restrictions. There's no parameters. There's no boundaries. He says, wherever, wherever, I'm in. Look at verse 58. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The dude says, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus says that. And if you close your eyes like you can almost see Jesus turn and smile at this guy and say, are you sure about that? Because, bro, I'm homeless. I'm homeless. That's what Jesus said. And I bet for uh, 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 that little tidbit of info for most fans and maybe even for most would-be followers is kind of a deal-breaker for him. Jesus made it clear, y'all, that that trip, this trip that we're on, <clears throat> it is not going to be some, like, fluffy mission trip where you go and stay in the Ritz-Carlton, some fancy hotel, and you order room service, and you get a massage downstairs at the little thing at the fancy hotel, and then, and then go out and give away Bibles for 30 minutes a day. That, that's not the mission trip that Jesus invited this guy on, nor is it the mission trip that he invites you and I on. So this man, he looks at him, he says, dude, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus points to a place that threatens this guy's comfort and his security. And he says to him, what about there? Like, what, what about there? You're going to follow me there? The text doesn't say this, but we are left with the impression that this dude rescinds his offer because he's like, oh, did I say wherever? Did, did I say wherever? Did, did what I really, I really meant for that to be kind of a rhetorical statement. He's like, well, I was kind of figuratively speaking, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever, like figuratively. I'm, I'm laying a big umbrella over that. It's like what he said to him. And y'all, we know, all of us, everybody in this room, we know that it's way, way easier to talk about following Jesus when you're making kind of a general statement, when you're painting sort of, um, sort of with a broad brush rather than making a specific commitment. You're making a general statement, but not a specific commitment. But here's the deal. The most obvious and the simplest definition of following Jesus means that there will be some significant life change going on. 
you making some kind of significant life change. Following Jesus literally means that you go wherever it is that he goes. And when you think about it that way, those rhetorical words that may come out of your mouth have really have huge implications. And I have no idea where or even what your wherever is. Maybe it's work. Let's talk about work. Monday morning, most people, Monday morning, they pull in the parking lot, wherever it is that they work, fans pull into the parking lot, they park their car, and they say to Jesus, now you wait there, I'll be back at 5 o'clock to get you. And what they're doing, they go into the office, they left Jesus in the car, I'll be back to get you in a little bit, and they say, they rationalize greed as ambition, or they rationalize dishonesty by renaming it shrewd business practices. At work, they stay silent about Jesus, about their faith, about the Lord, and they call that tolerance. Wherever. Wherever. What about the ball field? Like, what about in your neighborhood? What about with the people next door to you? What about when you're back at home where you grew up visiting old friends? Or what about this? What about if God points you to a place like China or Africa or India and then he looks at you and he says, well, what about there? And I don't imagine that any of y'all have ever heard of a guy named Charles Studd. Anybody heard of Charles Studd? Raise your hand. I don't imagine so. Charles Studd was a famous English cricketer. You know what cricket is? Cricket is like the baseball wannabe in England. So he's this I mean, super, one of the, supposedly, one of the greatest cricketers that ever lived in England. Um, He went on to be a missionary in China, Africa, and India. And he was the youngest of three or four brothers. They called him the Stud Brothers. And this dude, this stud was a stud cricket guy. Um, They were known for their skills at Eton and at Cambridge. And Charles, one night, he got saved, along with his three brothers, got saved while he was at Eton. And... Not while he was eaten, but while he was at Eton. So looking back on that night, that night that Charles met Christ, came to Christ, here's what he said. He said, right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. I knew then what it was to be born again, and the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything. And so when he decided to give up cricket, and I mean, he was a famous guy all over England. When he, when he decided to give up cricket to pursue a life in the mission field, here's what he said. He said, I know that cricket would not last, and fame would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. In this guy's 20s, when he was in his 20s, he served in the China Inland Mission, where he married a woman named Priscilla Livingstone Stewart, who was also a missionary in the uh, China Inland Mission. They lived in China for about 10 years, and then they moved from China, and they served in, in India for a, for a significant amount of time. A little later on, he left Priscilla, and by now they had four daughters. He left Priscilla and his daughters in England because of some health issues while he went to work in Central Africa until he died in 1931. And in his last letters home, Charles wrote this. He said, as I believe I am now nearing my departure from this world, I have but a few things to rejoice in, and they are these. Number one, 
he said that God called me to China and I went in spite of utmost opposition from all of my loved ones, number one. Number two, he said that I joyfully acted as Christ told that rich young man to act. And number three, that I deliberately, at the call of God, gave up my life for his work. He said, my only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. All right? Jesus does speak of following him as a journey, and as a journey that sometimes it contains risk and it contains uncertainty. We don't know, y'all, we don't know what the future holds. None of us have this crystal ball. So, so there is some risk and there is some uncertainty. Whenever we are scared to make a commitment, where that commitment will lead us to, our instinct often, maybe even most of the time, is just to back up and say no. Fear always asks what if. Fear always asks what if. What if I get married and he doesn't change? What if she does change? What if I take the job and it like it doesn't work out? What if I'm unsuccessful? And, and, and this is what we freak out about when we think about making that commitment to Christ. What's it, like what if it doesn't like play out like I think it's going to play out? What if he asks me, what if he asked me to share my faith and he points me to my neighbor's house? You know, what if what if what if he wants me to serve and he points me underneath the 14th Street Bridge? at 8 o'clock at night, at 9 o'clock at night? Like, what if he wants me to adopt and he points me overseas somewhere? What if he wants me, this is a huge one, what if he wants me to forgive and reconcile and he points me in my mind back to the house that I grew up in? If you say, y'all, if you say that I, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever, you can bet that the where, wherever that he points you to is at least a little bit going to point you outside of your comfort zone. And outside of your comfort zone could be described like this. It's the places where saying yes to God means saying no to me, right? Where saying yes to God means saying no to self. I sent out an email to everybody Monday, Sunday night or Monday, um, one of those two. And, and, and I asked you to finish this statement. And the statement was saying yes to following Jesus meant no to blank. And I got a ton of responses, like really a ton of responses. And I'll give you just some of them, what people said. There was some heavy stuff in there, y'all. There was. Here's some of them. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to not forgiving those that sexually abused me as a child. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to desperately holding on to a grudge. Saying yes to Jesus meant saying no to earthly desires. Saying yes to Jesus meant saying no to letting my accomplishments in my career drive my sense of self-worth. Saying no to social media. Saying no to drinking to the point of numbness. Saying no to gossip. Saying no to selfishness. Saying no to my plans and surrendering to his plan. Saying no to temptation. I could go on and on and on. I probably got 150 responses to that. And as I read through those responses, it was I realized that a lot of you, maybe even most, 
flying from some 30,000 foot view were saying that saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to myself somehow or the other. So this guy in Luke 9 is saying, he's standing in front of Jesus and he's saying wherever. But I'm telling you that he does not know when he says that what it is he's committing to. Jesus puts his arm around him and he's like saying, son, let, let, take a walk with me and let me help you to understand what I'm talking about. You can almost see that happening. He says, wherever, wherever is going to mean walking away from yourself. Wherever is going to mean that me and you are going to walk town to town living on the street. And I don't think that that's what you think you're signing up for. Jesus wants him to understand, and me and you, to understand what wherever really means. It is like when I do a wedding and I'm doing uh, premarital counseling. I try, which is so funny that I am doing premarital counseling. But nonetheless, I'm doing premarital counseling whenever I do a wedding. And I'm trying to give this young couple uh, who is looking to get married, I'm trying to give them an unedited, real deal on marriage. I'm trying to give them like the good and then the bad and the ugly as we're doing that. Lots of times, man, and maybe even most of the time, they have this, uh, this fairy tale fantasy land idea in their heads. Like they have no idea what they're committing to. And I gotta, I look at my task to get them real, to get them real so they'll understand. I got to try to get them to understand that the, what those vows that they're getting ready to make and to take are going to look like two and three and five and ten years down the road. I tell the wife, I'm like about two or three or four years in, you're going to be ready for bed and you're going to walk across the great room and you're going to realize that your husband has gained 15 or 20 or 25 pounds and he's going to be sitting on the couch or in his chair watching the, the a replay of two years ago's SEC championship game as if the score is going to change somehow. And he's going to be eating these big, huge Snyder's sourdough pretzels that are as hard as ceramic tile and make super loud noises when they crunch. I'm, she lets me know how loud those pretzels are. And, when, and, and he's going to be using that pretzel after he takes a bite to scratch his back with. All right. How about that for an image, y'all? They make way too much noise. Can you eat a little softer? Between bites, he'll reach up and scratch his back with it. And then I'll turn to the prospective husband, and I'm going to say, about that same time, two or three or four years in, she's going to start looking a little bit like your mama, right? And telling you, don't be crunching those dang pretzels so loud. She's going to be sounding a little bit like your mama. She's going to, when she walks through the den, you know, to, through the great room, she will be wearing the most modest nightgown that has ever been created by anybody and have all that white cream, I don't even know what it is, like all over her face. I'm just trying to help the young couple understand what those vows mean, for better or worse, for better or worse, when he gets the promotion and when he gets fired, when she gets pregnant and when she loses the baby, when you buy your first house and when you can't sell your first house and you got to move into a little bitty apartment, for richer or poorer, when, when you got a little extra 
and you can go to Caravas for dinner, when you've eaten nothing but ramen noodles for about a week and a half, when you've saved enough to even have a retirement conversation, and when you're overdrawn and the bills are due. That's for richer or poor. In sickness and in health, when he's strong enough to carry you through the door, but when he's older and you got to push him in a wheelchair. When she's young and energetic and when she's older and just slap tired, y'all, the most beautiful image of love I've ever seen in my entire life. Last year when I walked in Dan and Nancy Brim's house, Dan was in his, was in his last days before he went to see the Lord. And he was in a hospital bed, y'all, off of the, in a room off of the kitchen. Uh, and I believe it was a craft room that he was in. He had a hospital bed in there, and it was right off of that kitchen. And you know that kitchen was a kitchen where they, I'm sure, had Thanksgiving dinners, where they talked and where they laughed together with family, right? Where they even cried together probably at that kitchen table right next to that room where he was in the hospital bed, where they studied the scripture together, where they talked about the Lord together. And I walked in, the carport was right off the kitchen, and I walked in to that kitchen, and Nancy called me, and she said, you can come on in here into that room where Dan was. And y'all, when I turned the corner, um, he's in the hospital bed, and by now he's, he's not conscious. And she's just rubbing gently, just ever so gently, she was rubbing his head. The sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life, ever. And y'all, here's what I whispered in my, in my head, in sickness and in health, oh, that's what that means. Like, that's what that means. That's what happens to this dude in Luke 9 when he says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus says, I ain't got no place to lay my head, I'm homeless. And that guy says, oh, that's what that word means. Wherever means wherever. It might be geographic, like I don't know. He could be calling you to some geographically away place, like I don't know. Wherever could mean following him into ministry. I never dreamed in 10 bajillion years that I would be in ministry, ever. It could be following him into the mission field. This cricket playing dude, I don't imagine ever dreamt in a million years that he would be living in Africa, in the bush, sharing Christ, someone who he had never even heard of with people. You know, it's really just surrendering everything that you got to following him. Whatever that everything you got means. Now, pushing down a little bit in Luke 9. We all have people that we know that make excuses for everything. I don't know. You may be one of those people that makes excuses for everything. I don't know. I heard about a guy who was late to work, and here's the excuse that he, he gave. He said he got stuck in the blood pressure machine at Publix and couldn't get out, and therefore he was late to work. Now, is that not nuts? I heard about another fella who didn't go to work because he was caught cheating on his wife, and he had to spend the day retrieving all of his belongings out of various dumpsters around the town. <laughs> excuses, 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 excuses. So we run into two more guys in Luke 9, starting in verse 58. It says, to another, he said, to another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, he the, the dude, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead 
to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These two guys seem super crazy willing to follow. They call Jesus Lord. Both of them call him Lord. Using the same word, if you remember last week, we talked about that word um, is a slave word. That word is master, so they call him master. And so it looks like to us that they understand what Jesus is asking of them. So the problem is not with that first word. Both of them said Lord. The problem is where the few words after that, let me first. Let me first do whatever. And I am convinced, like I'm convinced that both of them, at least in their minds, they want to follow Jesus, but right now it's just not a good time for them. It's just not a good time. And I can hear them. I'm just in a season of life where I just don't feel like I can commit. I don't feel like I can really commit to spending a Sunday a month holding littles in trail tots. I don't think I, don't think I can commit to spending a Sunday a month being the first face that people see helping park people out there on Sunday morning. I just, I just need to think about me. I just need to think about me for a little bit. That, that's, that, I just need to focus on other things for a little bit because this season of life, I just need for it to be about me. They pony up like one excuse after the next for putting it off for a little while, putting Jesus off for a little while, putting following him off for a little while. And it's going to sound terrible, y'all. The text of the Bible says what it says. Jesus don't really want to hear about it. That's really what it says. And to me, both the excuses these two guys give seem to be, like, reasonable. Look, the first one on the surface, this first guy, like he wants to go have a funeral for his, for his father. Now, not that it really makes all that much difference in the world, but that guy's dad was most likely he was still living because the idiom of the day, the way that language is, it was really like him saying, when my parents die, I'll follow you. It wasn't like, let me just go home for the funeral. He's saying, look, when my parents die, I'll follow you. And I don't know why that guy wanted to wait. Maybe his parents would flip a gasket if he became a Christian. Mine did. Maybe because he knew that he would have to close the family business if he followed Jesus. I did. Maybe he's waiting for an inheritance. I wasn't waiting for an inheritance. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever the reason is, probably all of us can relate in some way with it. I'm not saying no, Jesus. I'm just saying not yet. That's what they're saying. And I suspect that there are a lot of fans who feel okay. They've made themselves feel okay about kind of having like a half a relationship with him. Because in their mind, they have every intention of one day going all in. Of one day committing to him. Uh, of one day committing to following him and how that like plays out in the day to day. So how does Jesus respond to this first excuse? He doesn't say, I understand, you'll know when the time is right. He didn't say, I don't want to put any pressure on you, you just take your time. When you know serving is good, you'll, you'll kind of know it. He doesn't say, whenever you're ready, I'll be here waiting. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. And y'all, I'm telling you, that gives you and me a pretty good idea of what Jesus thinks 
about all the excuses that we give him all the time. This last guy says, hey, man, let me go tell my family goodbye. And I'm like, come on, Jesus, let the guy go tell his mom and dad goodbye. But there was a little more to that, even that, in that culture of the day when somebody was um, going on, a, on an extended, when they were going to be away for an extended amount of time, there'd be parties, there'd be farewell dinners, and, and it could last weeks. And Jesus almost acts as if this guy's request gets all up on his nerves. And y'all do understand, I hope you understand, Jesus was 100% God, Jesus was 100% man. And if you don't think Jesus got angry ever, you're simply wrong. He was not a happy camper when he flips over the tables in the courtyard of the temple. Jesus got angry. He was 100% man as well as 100% God. So Jesus says to this second guy, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He uses this analogy about this guy who's looking behind him when he should be paying attention to the work that Christ has given him to do, but he's, he's looking behind him. And he knows that this guy's response is an indication of where this guy's heart is. And it's not that following Jesus was not important to him, but it was not his number one priority. Something else has this tractor guy's attention. In this case, it is looking back. In this case, it is the guy's family. And so he puts Jesus off. And he says, I'm going to be in, but I just got to go deal with this first. Tomorrow I'll deal with it. Compare this guy's response with really both these guys' response with the disciples' response. Look at Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This is the way these guys made their living. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their dad. They were in business with their dad. They were fishermen. It's the way they made their living. And they were in business with their dad. And the text says, and he, Jesus, called them. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and, and their father and followed him. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. They didn't list on a piece of paper, the pros and the cons, and add up the scores and whichever side had the most points won. They didn't wait for the right season of life. They didn't even pray and fast over it. The text says immediately they, they followed. He called, immediately they followed. That, y'all, is the commitment. That is the commitment that Jesus is looking for from followers. He is. He wants followers who will say yes before they even know where they're being sent. Jesus, my answer is yes, now where do you want me to go? That's the level of commitment that God wants from us. A fan's answer to this invitation is usually tomorrow. It's like a diet. It's like a diet, I'm going to start tomorrow. But Jesus, first I want to get a Big Mac and some fries. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like training, it's like, like getting in shape. We go to bed saying, tomorrow I'm going to get up, tomorrow morning early and I'm going to run. And then the next night you go to bed and say, I think it's going to be tomorrow when I get up early and go run. And then the next night it's like, I promise tomorrow I'm going to get up 
and run. Here's the deal, y'all. The RSVP on Jesus' invitation to follow him is one word, today. That's the RSVP date is today, not tomorrow, today. And so I'm going to ask y'all, I'm asking myself, really and truly, what is it and how long have you been saying tomorrow? I get to it tomorrow. Here's a typical scenario. In high school, this guy, good guy, popular guy, athletic guy, homecoming king or something, I don't know. In high school, he says, let me just get through high school and I'll get serious about Jesus when I get in college. And dude, I'm swamped. Who knew that college was going to be this overwhelming? Classes are, are just killing me. Let me just get this diploma and get a job and then I'll, I'll see about following Jesus. Got a job. And oh my God, this job, I'm working 15 hours a day. It's killing me. All right, let me, let me get married and let me settle down and then I'll get serious about this whole Jesus thing when life can slow down a little bit. Gets married, has a couple of kids. When the kids were little, they discussed getting back into church, but it just never seems like the right time. Man, the week is so busy and Sunday morning I got to get some R&R &R, and so it just seems like it's never the right time. For 25 years, he keeps telling God tomorrow. Finally, he says yes to Jesus. But let me tell you about Jeff. Jeff, that's the guy's name that I'm talking about, that I'm describing to you. And yeah, he is a believer. He absolutely is. But here's what Jeff would tell you. He lost a whole lot of life in Tomorrowland. His wife left him and took the kids. But he does get to see the kids every other weekend, which is not all that bad because on the off weekends he gets to go to the AA meetings. Y'all, the Tomorrowland, that sign of Tomorrowland, doesn't seem that bad in the moment. But at the end of the day, it is the pits. It is the pits. For fans that are always telling Jesus tomorrow, it is like, it always seems that tomorrow only comes when tragedy strikes. It only comes when life gets shattered. After years and years of, of putting him off, fans finally will turn to him in desperation, ready to surrender their whole life to him because life has been shattered. And it may be in a thousand pieces, but they finally, finally will give it over to him. Even worse, though, is that tomorrow might not come. Tomorrow might not come, Psalm 95, David wrote this, today, David wrote, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day, now is the time. Don't tell yourself, tomorrow I'm going to surrender that secret sin to the Lord. Don't you tell yourself, tomorrow I'm going to start being generous. Don't tell yourself, tomorrow I'm going to walk across the street and introduce myself to the neighbor. Don't tell yourself tomorrow I'm going to talk to Autumn about jumping into the generations ministry. Or, or tomorrow I'm going to talk to Gary about helping in parking. Or tomorrow I'm going to talk to Lynn about serving in the cafe. Or tomorrow I'm going to get into a Bible study. Or tomorrow I'm going to volunteer at the shelter. Or tomorrow I'm going to make that phone call about being a foster parent. Today is the RSVP date on Jesus' invitation to follow him. I want to tell you quickly 
about a 17-year-old girl, a 17-year-old follower from Louisville, Kentucky. Her name is Brittany Bevan, Brittany Bevan. And, and I want to tell you a little bit about her, and we're going to wrap this thing up. Brittany was a journaler. She journaled all kind of stuff. Brittany pre- wrote prayers to God, prolific journaler. I wish so bad that, that that was me, that I could do that. Here's something she wrote in one of the entries in her journal. And it was a prayer she wrote to God. Here's what she wrote, 17-year-old girl now. She said, you hold, this is a, a prayer to the Lord. She said, you hold the only peace that can fill the deepest hole. But how do I get it? You said, ask and you shall receive. I'm asking and I know that you will give it to me every week. Lord, you bless me so much and teach me lesson after lesson. I know that once again, you're showing me your love. I can't fathom how much you feel when one of your children suffers, but I've had a glimpse of your heartache. She said, Lord, please fill me with your wisdom that I won't just watch others suffer, but that I'll be able to say what they need to hear. As a new week approaches, God, my dangerous prayer for this week is that you will place broken-hearted people in my path and fill me with you so that I can let your love heal their pain. 17-year-old girl died in a car wreck the very next day. She had recently, and this was a girl that was following him, y'all. She was following him. She was sharing, um, sharing him with folks. She was serving everywhere that she could. She had just had opened up a checking account. And when her dad went to close that checking account a couple of weeks or something later, she'd only written one check out of that checking account. It was a check to Compassion International to sponsor a kid. So the challenge to y'all is this. Like, will you follow Jesus wherever and whenever? Wherever and whenever. Will you say yes to him before you even know where the wherever is? That's the commitment that he wants. That's the commitment. He's going to send us somewhere. Yeah, maybe geographically, but maybe not geographically, whatever that is. And so can you make that commitment? And we're going to move into a little time of response here. You know, will you leave this building today with a conviction that there are some things in your life that may need to change? Following him changes by very nature will change some things and they may be little changes and they may be big this big changes I don't know it's different for every one of us you know will you leave here with a commitment to allowing him to lead you through that door of change before you even know where that door of change is and so here's what I, what I want to kind of ask today and and crosses open so it is really like um, two different things probably you know are we going to follow the first step of following him is following him into salvation right so there's somebody there are people in here today that have never said yes to that offer and so that question that commitment today is will you follow him into that will you follow him into a relationship where he saves you that's step number one no doubt and that's not a big complicated formula. It is, Lord, I repent of my sins and I believe that you died on that cross for me and I invite you into my life. I invite you to save me. I'm saying yes to, to your salvation, number one. Number two is this. You may have been a believer for 
a year or five years or ten years. I mean, like, I don't know. You may have been a believer for 20 years, but you've been, and you can't be half saved. So don't, don't take this this way. But you can be half following, and you can be a quarter of the way following. And that is, and you're missing out on life. Like you think that you got to give up the fun, but you don't even understand how the freedom that comes with following him. Real, true freedom comes from following Jesus. And so uh, let me pray for us. And, and as we kind of, uh, as they lead, uh, the worship team leads us into this last worship song, we're going to dim the lights. And, and I respond however it is you would respond. If you need to come down here, our prayer team will be available to you. Um, and it, you come down, if it is a, a praying at the cross, crying out to the Lord to save you, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If it is coming down and praying that, that you and committing to him that you will allow him to lead you into this next season of life of really following him, then that's fine too. But let me say a prayer, a sort of a salvation thing first. Lord, and if, you, if this is you, I want you to pray this along with me. Lord, today is the day that I repent of my sin. And today is the day that I believe that you died to save me and I and I invite you into my life, into my heart to save me. And I'm saying yes to that offer. And it is in Jesus' name, amen. And I want to tell y'all, look, if that is you and you have said yes to that offer, let us know. Please let us know on that connection card. Drop it at the connection desk when you leave. We just want to pray with you. Um, so y'all just worship the Lord along with us our worship team in this next song.